Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to the Bitcoin Aid Podcast. The goal of this podcast is to give you an introduction to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in roughly 10-minute chunks that can fit your busy day. In the first season of this podcast, we will solely focus on Bitcoin as it serves as the gateway drug for the entire crypto space. If you understand the fundamentals of Bitcoin, I think that should give you enough information to be able to understand the entire space. So before we get started, all opinions reflected in this podcast are solely my opinions and you should not treat any of the opinions expressed by me as specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of my opinion. This podcast is for information purposes only. All right, welcome back everyone. In this episode, we will talk about central banks. So I know know what you're thinking, uh, if this podcast is about Bitcoin, then why the heck are we discussing central banks or central banking? Well, that's because going down the the Bitcoin rabbit hole uh, really requires understanding a wide range of topics, uh, including inflation, economics, gold, central banking, software, energy, history, law, censorship, politics, and philosophy. Bitcoin will take you to a world which takes your assumptions and shatters them into a thousand tiny pieces again and again. It is definitely an exercise of brain rewiring, so welcome aboard. So in this episode, we'll mainly concentrate on central banking. To give you a high-level description here, First, I need to highlight what money is. Um, and there's a f- different forms of money and, and definitions of money. But for the sake of today's exercise, we'll focus on money as being a device of moving value across space and time. And it's also a form of technology. So the free market selects the best technology tool to transact with as money. And that form of money changes over time so money as a technology it needs to fulfill really the following properties it needs to be divisible durable recognizable portable and secure so monetary metals best satisfied the divisibility durability recognizability Uh, and uh, uh, portability uh, property of money with gold as being the most scarce. So when you define scarcity around money, scarcity really in simple terms is uh, achieved when demand outstrips the supply. So one thing you can also keep in mind uh, that something that is kind of unique to money is that demand always exceeds the supply because people always need to to make more money. No one reaches a certain amount of capital savings and then you're basically satisfied with that amount for the rest of your life. So there's always uh, more demand for money Uh, and scarcity uh, has to be sort of an inherent uh, to being good sound money. So with that background in mind, uh, the most inflation resistance, uh, resistant uh, money supply tends to be 
favored by market actors because people don't like to be stolen from via inflation, which essentially is a taxation without legislation. So it's important for market actors to use the most sound form of money uh, in a way that no external party has the ability to dilute that value uh, of their capital or, capital or savings. So money in monetary inflation, again, in very simple uh, terms here, is uh, it's, a, it's a demand and supply economics. Uh, if someone can arbitrarily increase the supply, then they can steal purchasing power from others who use the same form of money as a store of value. Basically, if you put that money in your savings as a store of value uh, and somebody dilutes the supply, then um, as a direct consequence of that, you're losing your capital or purchasing power over time. This is why gold succeeded for centuries um, as a sound form of money because it really requires a great amount of energy um, and very expensive mining activities that takes a long time to produce a certain amount of gold and consequently takes a long time uh, to really dilute the overall supply of gold. So gold has been an excellent, um, has been excellent as uh, storing value over time, uh, but metals in general um, are pretty poor uh, to express value across space, especially in a globalized economy. Uh, it is very expensive to send uh, secure move and transact with gold, for instance. This is why paper money was introduced for the first time by abstracting gold into paper currency. And now we can increase the transactability of money, aka gold, across space. With the condition for as long as the dollar basically was redeemable for gold. So this allowed us to transform gold that was selected by the free market into paper currency, uh, allowing for that essentially transaction layer uh, of money, which in this case is gold. So this essentially turned money into a debt instrument where you can use it to use that certificate to redeem it for gold, uh, which is the true form of money. The problem with that approach is that you introduce for the first time the need for having a trusted custodian, or in this case, a central bank, that you have to trust that they will not produce paper currency in excess of their gold reserves. Otherwise, they are the ones artificially inflating currency and stealing from everyone else. And if you look historically, it shows that the temptation to manipulate the money supply has proven to be irresistible time and time again. If you look at civilizations that fell from grace, one of the last, there's a direct correlation between the inflation of their money supply and the decline of the civilization. Central banks have always violated adhering to these rules, and consequently, they helped inflate uh, the money supply over time. Let's not forget, Nixon took the U.S. dollar of the gold standards in 1971, allowing for the central bank to virtually uh, produce unlimited uh, or increase the money supply um, uh, in virtually unlimited way. 
that increase in the money supply in central banking, you read about it in the news, is always referred to as what they call QE or quantitative easing. Just to give you um, a flavor here, in 2020, which is the year where the COVID-19 pandemic hit, um, around the, you know, in the U.S. at least in, in March of 2020, the central banks end up issuing 22% of the, the entire U.S. dollar supply in a form of quantitative easing just that year alone. Uh, and just by the way, the central banks have been engaged in a form of quantitative ease, easing since the 2008 global financial crisis, and we haven't stopped. So this makes the supply, uh, the currency supply is, is essentially becoming corrupt over time. It's almost as if we are taking the uh, inflation as you know, form of it, just, you know, how things are run. And this is also always referred to as the debasement of currency, um, which is an arbitrary harvesting uh, of the economic surplus that the productive free market economy is producing or creating. Um, so, and, and, and one of the things to keep in mind here, as the economy gets more efficient, it produces more wealth that is passed back to the market in a form of declined prices. Um, we are getting smarter about how we produce things, and the cost for them is getting actually cheaper and cheaper over time. If you look at TV, for example, um, the, the cost TVs are getting cheaper and better uh, over time, as an example. So by printing money, you are basically stealing claims on that economic surplus that the free market is producing. And if you are using that money uh, with that inflated supply as a store of value, as a market participant, you your economic surplus is also going down in value as a result of manipulating that money supply. Another way to think of this, think of the free market as a, as a distributed computing system. We all have 120 bits per second attention span uh, multiplied by basically 8 billion market participants today, and that's your total cognitive power of the free market. There's this false sense that if we have a central entity, a central bank entity, central bank uh, of 40 of the smartest people in the financial world that we know, that they will be able to accurately um, calculate the pricing of every single piece that the economy is producing on the fly, allowing, the, allowing them to process an infinite amount of information in real time so that they're able to actually judge how much nails are going to cost, how much tires are going to cost, what's the labor worth, what's metal worth, etc. And obviously, they are technically limited in that. Um, and then one of the alternative is that instead of having a central you know, planning entity that you can distribute that computation or calculation to virtually an unlimited number of those market participants in the free market, right? Those 8 billion people that we kind of talked about, which is the total cognitive uh, power of that free market. So uh, it turns out that it is impossible for centralized bureaucracies and centralized computing models to compete with a distributed computer model of the free market. The free market is a true market democracy. And the price essentially is the most truth. It is the signal 
between the intersection between supply and demand. So when you have a few individuals making policies at the central banking level, essentially they are interfering with the will of the free market dynamics. And then they're creating some form of effectively a tyranny um, uh, you know, that serves the interest of a few. So in conclusion, Bitcoin cannot be centrally uh, managed, which is the reason why it exists. Uh, Satoshi had a quote about central banks that stated that the centrally controlled nature is what doomed them, uh, referring to the fiat cash system. Uh, administration level, node level at the protocol level, this what really gives Bitcoin the resilience it needs uh, to survive the flaws of the central banks today. Without me to end actually the conversation from today uh, with uh, quotes uh, from um, several uh, individuals in the space uh, that have been doing really great work, which really this podcast is an extension of the great works that you know a lot of folks in the space are doing. Uh, so I'm going to start with a quick um, quote from Jeff Booth. Um, there's two separate quotes. The first one, uh, technology will not be stopped but central bankers can destroy free markets and concentrate uh, power in the hands of a few. As a result, you will owe nothing and not be happy. There is a better way to deal with advancing tech, and it requires e-system change. Also, Jeff Booth mentioned that the smartest people error correct their belief when new information contradicts what they formerly believed. It is only your egos that gets in the way of that process and that curiosity hope and eternal search for a better way is at the heart of all human progress. I'll also end this with a couple more quotes here. Uh, James Madison uh, said, history records that the money changers have used every form of abuse, intrigue, deceit, and violent means possible to maintain their control over governments by controlling money and its issuance. Finally, concluding the podcast with a quote from Robert Breedlove, uh, which is, Bitcoin is certain money in an uncertain world. Thank you again for tuning in.